The following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. So good to have you here with us or have you joining us online this morning. If you have a Bible with you, take it out and let's go to Luke chapter 2. This morning we'll be in Luke chapter 2, that very familiar, very beloved story of the angelic visit to the shepherds. We find ourselves, as the bumper made clear, in the midst of a sermon series that we're calling Rediscover the Wonder. And in this, we're acknowledging the reality that there's something really comfortable and comforting about the familiarity of this season. Right, Every year around this time, we sing the same songs, we tell the same stories, we, we hang the same decorations around our homes, we, we deal with the same bulbs that are burned out on our Christmas trees. Right, there, There's something about this season that just the, the repetition, the, the familiarity is comfortable and comforting. And yet, there's also the reality that sometimes familiarity, if not breeding contempt, it at least can breed a sense of indifference. That in our familiarity, we can miss it. We can miss the power of the story. And, and, and that's true with a story like the one we're going to look at today. This story is, is so well known. If you spent much time around the church at all in, in the Christmas Advent season, you likely know the story. You've heard this story. You, you may have seen this story played out with uh, with kids, maybe even your kids, dressed up in bathrobes to portray the, the shepherds, right? Or maybe you hear the story and it, and it immediately takes you back to that moment that, that Linus steps forward to remind Charlie Brown and all their friends the, the true meaning of Christmas. I think even if you're not all that familiar with church, you're probably familiar with this story. And so the question for us is, is Is there any wonder left to rediscover? Well, let's take a look and find out. Luke chapter two, we're gonna begin in uh, verse eight. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angel had left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Now, the first thing I want you to notice in this story is that it says these were shepherds living in their fields. These are probably teenage boys sent out to to tend the sheep, but it, it says they were living in their fields, not just working in their fields. They are living in their fields day and night in a field filled with sheep. Can I just suggest to you at this point that, that a field filled with sheep is filled with more than just sheep? If you know what I'm saying, 
right? And, and these guys are living in the field filled with sheep and all that the sheep leave behind. Day and night, unwashed teenage boys surrounded by sheep. Can you imagine the smell? I mean, I, I remember when, uh, when Kim had our three kids, I remembered especially with the first one with Will, um, when she was pregnant, her sense of smell was just through the roof heightened. Right? Some of you ladies in the room are nodding, going, yeah, I, I, that's a thing. Right? Her sense of smell just went through the roof. Imagine Mary's heightened sense of smell, and here come these unwashed teenage boys who are living in a field filled with sheep. I also remember when we brought Will home that there was something that was just so scary to me because like, we had spent those first few days of his life in the hospital where everything is clean, and, and, and pristine, right? Sterilized. And then the terror of bringing him to our home where things are not quite so clean. Imagine Mary already dealing with the fact that she's laid this baby in a feeding trough. And then here come the unwashed teenage boys who are living in a field filled with sheep. But in the midst of their mess, the angel shows up with good news. There's, there's the sermon right there. Like we could just like, just, right? In the midst of their mess, the angel shows up with good news. And, and the thing the angel says is don't be afraid because they are, the word in the NIV, they are terrified. I love the old King James here that says they were sore afraid. Right? There, there's one thing to be afraid. Another thing to, to be so afraid that it hurts. Right? They, they're sore afraid. In the Greek, uh, the phrase here is uh, megonphobon, megaphobia. They are mega afraid. They are terrified, which is what the visit of an angel evokes from people who encounter one. And thus, the, the first words of this angel, as well as most angels when they show up, is don't be afraid. Right? Easier said than done. Don't be afraid because I bring you good news. And that word for good news is the word from which we get the idea of gospel. It sometimes is translated as gospel. This is the angel preaching the gospel, the good news of the birth of Jesus. And the first word that the angel reaches for to describe the impact of that good news, that gospel, is the word joy. I've come to bring you good news, great joy, even for you in the middle of your mess. And, and once again, we don't just have joy, we have great joy. In, in Greek, it's mega joy. You had mega fear, I've come to bring you mega joy. Good news of great joy for all the people. Now, we know in the fullness of God's revelation to us that this good news of the gospel of Jesus is for all people. It's for everybody, everywhere. But in the minds of those shepherds in this first century world, they, they would hear this good news of great joy for all the people. And they would, they would immediately think about their people, the people of Israel. You see, because for a thousand years since the time of David, the people of Israel have been living in humiliation and oppression. 
And they would hear some real important resonances that we might forget in the proclamation of the angel. The angel says, for unto you today in the city of David is born a Messiah who is the Lord. That they would have heard these words, David, this word Savior, Messiah, and Lord as really um, laden with meaning. In that first century world. David was that great king. A thousand years earlier. Who who led the people. Into a time of unprecedented. Peace and prosperity. So David was always looked to. As kind of the the paradigmatic king. That that there was this longing. To get back to the good old David days. And yet. Shortly after David's reign. The the wheels kind of flew off. Things got really really bad and then continued to get really, really worse. And so for nearly a thousand years, the people of God have been living under the boot of one tyrant after another, after another, after another. These people had had suffered a thousand years of humiliation and oppression. And the angel comes with the declaration of good news. It will bring great joy to all the people. Good news of a king that's been born that's going to turn this whole thing upside down. The message to the, to the shepherds is good news of great joy for all the people. Now, at this point in the sermon, I, th- I think we need to pause and, and ask, what is Joy. If we're looking to the story to try to rediscover the wonder of joy, what do we mean when we use the word joy? Because it's a word that gets thrown around a lot, especially this time of year. It's it's in decorations and mugs and yard art. But but what is joy? And I found myself sort of struggling a bit with that question this week because I I, I reach for words that are sort of near synonyms, but but that have their own distinct meaning. So what is joy? Before I offer you a definition... I want to do a little etymology. And I realize that is like the most scintillating sentence that I've ever spoken in a sermon, right? I want to do some etymology. You you could take the professor out of the seminary, but you can't take the seminary. In fact, this is what I wrote. Literally, it's what I wrote as I was working on this section in my sermon. Um, Before we get to definition, I want to make an observation about etymology. And then in brackets, insert self-deprecating humor about being a nerdy seminary professor here. <laughs> but, but hang with me for a second. The word joy in the original Greek language is the word kara. Very closely associated with that word kara is the Greek word charis, which means Grace. There's an intimate connection between joy and grace. You take that word charis and you add the ending to get charism. It's the Greek word for gift. Or you take that word charis and you put a a prefix on the front of it. You charis. And you get the word for thanksgiving. For gratitude. The word from which we get our word for Eucharist. So there is this intimate connection, a connection between joy and gift and grace. 
gratitude. It is receiving the gift of grace with gratitude that leads us to joy. So what is joy? Well, I sat with my notebook and just wrote joy is and then sat there for a little while trying to figure out how how would I put it into words? And here's what I came up with. See if this helps. Joy is the abiding sense of satisfaction founded on the assurance that God is with us, that God is for us, and there will be redemption. Joy is the pervasive sense of well-being produced by gratitude and trust. Joy is the audacious sense of gladness that rests on confidence in God despite the circumstances of life. So, So joy is abiding, it's pervasive, it's audacious. And it's built on this reality of of, of trusting that God is indeed with us. That God is indeed for us. And that whatever it is, it will be redeemed. Joy is, is built on a foundation of trust and gratitude. That joy is audacious in its perseverance despite the circumstances of our lives. And that's what joy is all about. That's what joy is supposed to be. And yet, as I worked through this message, I I had to do a little bit of self-examination. I hate that part of the process, quite frankly. Right? But, but I had to look at, at, at me. I had, to, I had to say, how are you doing and actually living in the joy that you're promoting? Right? Joy is available. It's here as a gift to all of us. How are you doing, Jones? You living this out in your life? And I, and I came across this little Latin phrase in my reading this last week. I've been reading this book about the spiritual life of a ministry leader. And this little Latin phrase, esse quam videre, which roughly translates into to be rather than to appear. And I want that to be true in my life. I want to be rather than just to appear to be. When I get up here and talk to you about about God, about, about grace, about holiness, about joy, I want it to be true of me, not just true for you. So I had to do a little self examination. How are you doing with living out of the joy that is available to us? And when I ask myself that question, I recognize there are things in my life that tend to rob me of joy, that just suck the joy right out of me. Like this joy is here, it's available, it's on offer, and yet there are things in my life that suck the joy right out of me. The, The mental image that I've had in my head all this week that will maybe connect with about four of you is a Minoc. Anybody? Right? The year is 1980. Pastor Barry is an eight-year-old kid, and they released into the world the sequel to his favorite movie of all time. They called it The Empire Strikes Back. And little did he know that the sequel to his favorite movie of all time would be even better than the first one. Are you with me? Right? But, 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 but there's a scene in the story where we're introduced very briefly to these creatures called Minox. It's when the Millennium Falcon has navigated their way into... I can't believe I'm doing this. 
into this comet field, right? And, and they've gone down into this cave and, and there are these creatures flying around that, that attach themselves to the side of the ship and, and suck all the energy out of it. Minox. And I just think about those things in my life that just suck the joy out of my life. Maybe, maybe a more generationally appropriate illustration would be Dementors, right? From Harry Potter that just suck the life right out of you. I think we have things in our lives that are like that, don't we? Things that just suck the joy right out of us. I tried to step back and to identify what those things are for me. And I wonder if maybe some of these might be true for you as well. The first one that I wrote down is unmet expectations. Unmet expectations, right? The gap that exists between the way things are and the way I thought they would be, right? The gap that exists between what we're experiencing and what we were expecting. And then when I find myself in that place and I just say, I, this isn't the way that I thought it was going to be. This isn't the way that it, I thought it was going to turn out. It just sucks the joy out of me. Maybe there's some of you that find yourself at a place right now. You're just like, this is not where I thought I would be right now. It's not where I thought I would be in my, in my marriage or in my relationships. It's not where I thought I would be um, with my health, with my job. This just isn't the way that I thought it was going to be. And that gap between our experience and our expectations just has a tendency to kind of suck the joy right out of us. A second thing for, for me is unresolved tension. I talked about this last week. I hate unresolved tension in relationships. And I want to just get in there and fix it and make it go away or pretend it doesn't exist. But unresolved tension in relationships, right? When we're, we're just in that place, tension just tends to rob us of our joy. A, a third one that, uh, that's true for me is what I called here unfiltered inputs, unfiltered inputs. Here, here's what I mean for me. This happened to me this week. It happened with Twitter, right? This input where I, I'm going, I'm logging on to my, to my Twitter feed and I just get sucked into something. You know how that works and you just, and you find yourself getting angry. You find yourself getting frustrated and how could they, you want to correct everybody. I mean, I think it's actually a, a very important um, part of our spiritual formation to get this, let people be wrong online, Right, but I, I don't know about you. I have a hard time doing that. And I just allow these things into my life that just they just pull me down. They just suck the joy out of my life. Um, maybe for you, it's social media. Maybe it's your favorite cable news channel. Maybe it's your favorite current issues blog. But we allow these unfiltered inputs into our lives. And and friends, I think we need to remember that anger and fear sell advertising space. That anger and fear generate post clicks. And that you and I are constantly being bombarded, being sold anger and fear. And I think we've got to evaluate the inputs in our life to say, is this helping me to cultivate joy or is this robbing me of the joy that is offered to me in Christ? 
Is this helping me to to love my neighbors and my enemies? Or is this making that more difficult? We can allow these unfiltered inputs into our lives that just rob us of our joy. A fourth one. So unmet expectations, unresolved tensions, unfiltered inputs. Fourth is unaddressed sin. Let's move on to the fifth one, right? <laughs> Unaddressed sin. We, we, have, we have patterns in our lives. Patterns of thinking, patterns of relating, patterns of acting. And oftentimes those sinful patterns really are, are born from a place to try to, to help us cope with the reality of the world not being the way it's supposed to be. And me not being the way that I'm supposed to be. Oftentimes our sin patterns are in fact our coping mechanisms. And yet they are, are, are unhelpful and unhealthy coping mechanisms that wind up robbing us of joy. Friends, shame hates joy. God loves joy and he wants you to live in joy. And yet shame wants to rob that joy from you. And so if we have things in our lives that we've allowed to go unaddressed, it will rob us of our joy. Unmet expectations, unresolved tensions, unfiltered inputs, unaddressed sin, and then finally, unavoidable pain. And sometimes we just find ourselves in the midst of circumstances over which we have no control. And we experience pain that wants to rob us of our joy. I am walking with several people that I'm I'm close to in life. They're just walking through seasons of a pretty significant pain. Maybe that's true of you this morning. And I gotta tell you, I, I wrestled with this message around that. Like I wrestled with talking about joy to my friends who are in pain. So I didn't want a message on joy to feel like a burden in the midst of their already burdened lives. But I thought about the reality of, of this, this story in Luke 2 that in the midst of their mess and under the weight of their struggle, the angel comes with a message of joy. As Christians, we are those who hold in both hands, both the reality of the way things are supposed to be and the reality of how they are. That we believe there is coming a day when things will be the way they're supposed to be, but we also acknowledge that's not here yet. That day is not, today. We hold in one hand the reality of how things are supposed to be and in the other the way things are and for us to let go of either one of those is to live in unreality. But here's the truth about the joy that Jesus came to bring. The joy that Jesus offers doesn't gloss over pain, disappointment, and heartache. Instead, it often shows up right in the middle of it. Joy does not minimize, repress, ignore, pretend, or avoid. It's not naive or ignorant or indifferent. It's fully informed by all the ways in which this world can break your heart. And yet, it audaciously persists. The good news of this story is that in the midst of your mess, under the weight of your struggle, 
there is joy for you as a gift for you. It's a gift that we have to receive, to, to choose to receive the joy that Jesus has come to bring. Now, in the few minutes that we have left, I want to talk just briefly about how we cultivate that joy then in our lives. Right? If, if it's true that joy is a gift that is offered, that, that we then receive, it's true that joy is a gift to be received, but it's also a virtue to be cultivated. And I think Paul speaks to this most directly in the book of Philippians. And in, in Philippians 4, in the space of kind of one long paragraph, Paul gives us not a, a simple formula for joy, not a one, two, three, four, and you've got it, right? That, that, that if you just do these things, then joy automatically results. But, but rather what he gives us is a set of practices by which we cultivate this virtue of joy. Look with me in Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four, beginning in verse four. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And the word rejoice is the verbal form of our word for joy. Choose joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition. If you've got a pen, underline prayer and petition. With thanksgiving, underline with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, and if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Underline, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received, or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice. Once again, underline, put it into practice. And the peace of God will be with you. In those four little phrases that I suggested that you underline, we find the practices by which we cultivate the virtue of joy. Not a simple formula, this plus that, and it comes out automatically on the other side, but practices that we engage. I captured those four practices with the verbs to unburden, reorient, imbibe, and embody. Unburden, reorient, imbibe, and embody. Unburden your heart before the Lord in everything, he says, by prayer and petition. Right? This is where we bring everything we got inside of us to God. Not as we are, I mean, not as we should be, but as we are. In complete honesty, God, this is what's in my heart. Unburden your heart to God. And then reorient yourself to gratitude. That, that, that Paul says, with thanksgiving. This is just that reality that, that as we turn our hearts, our minds towards all the good that God has done for us, that we find joy born from our sense of gratitude. And then third, imbibe, imbibe the good, the, the good, the true, and the beautiful. Paul lists all these things and says, think about these kinds of things. Fill your mind, right? Filter those inputs that might rob your joy and fill your mind with those things that bring you joy. And then finally, embody, embody the way. Paul says, whatever you've seen or heard in me and my life and my teaching, put it in 
practice. Embody the way of Jesus, which is fundamentally the way of self-giving love. And as you do, you will cultivate the virtue of joy. Friends, is there any wonder left in this old familiar story? Maybe the wonder for you this morning is just hearing the message of that angel to those shepherds. In the middle of your mess and under the weight of your struggle, there is joy for you as a gift for you. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.